Hello and welcome to this week's Talking Pharmacy podcast. My name is Richard Thomas, editor of Pharmacy Magazine, and joining me on the pod this week are Rob Darricott, editor of P3 Pharmacy, Arthur Walsh, editor of Pharmacy Network News, and Neil Trainers, editor of Independent Community Pharmacist. Another busy week, so let's crack on straight away with Good Week, Bad Week. Arthur, let's start with you then. Good week or bad week? I'm not sure is it a good week or a bad week. I think it'll sort of be up for up to the sector to decide whether it's good or bad because um, a big question has been put before the sector. Um, the government has launched a long-awaited consultation on um, on on revisiting the hub and spoke proposals that that were abandoned in 2016. Um, at the time, the government, uh, the, the sector basically told the, the government to, to go away and come back with something better. And the government uh, says that it has. It's it's a, a new consultation launched um, on March the 16th, uh, giving giving uh, sector stakeholders 12 weeks to to give their thoughts. The proposal set out that there, there are two um, uh, models of hub and spoke dispensing among separate businesses that the government wants to enable. Um, one is that, um, you know, as you might expect, um, uh, a medicine will be or a prescription will be assembled at the hub and then sent back to the spoke pharmacy to to make the supply. And then another model in which um, the hub will be allowed to send the medicines to, directly to the patient. Um, the government says that... Um, that sort of taking the dispensing function away from 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 pharmacies where they decide to to enter into these arrangements because they're not compulsory. The government says that entering into these arrangements will um, create um, much more efficiency in the pharmacy. It will give pharmacists much more time to sort of spend on clinical services and spending time with with patients face to face, which and and also sort of integrate the sector more closely into the N- NHS, which is. Um, the, the the sort of um drift that 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 we're seeing happening the sort of change change in direction that that the government wants from from community pharmacies in terms of uh savings the government i think expects to make some savings but not not very much um i think the impact assessment said something like 27 million over, over the course of 10 year would be would be saved from from hub and spoke dispensing so um you know on the one hand you know great great efficiencies more more clinical services i think everyone's pretty pretty enthusiastic about that um but obviously there's you know question marks and there's hesitations i mean the, the proposals were um abandoned last time for a reason and um it'll and you know the, the you know ph- pharmacists and contractors will be We'll be looking at the proposals in a lot of detail to see whether the, the proposals are different enough. Um, there is some s- stuff that's sort of eye-catching for me because I think one of the big questions last time was around liability: who bears liability if something goes wrong? And um, the per, maybe I'm missing something, but the consultation document it seems the proposal seems to be that the hub and the spoke will decide among themselves who bears responsibility for which part of the dispensing process i don't know maybe maybe that's the only way you can go about it but it just seems a bit crude and i can imagine people sort of coming to coming to blows about that uh if things come out in the wash the mpa in particular are um uh approaching this very cautiously um because they sort of they have, they have question marks about whether this is beneficial for for independence um i spoke to the mpas nick k who is a contractor in uh cornwall uh and 
he said that you know he's he's sort of not dismissing anything knee jerk. He's he's looking through everything very cautiously, but um, he's not convinced at all that there's a business case for for him, and he's he's sort of not entirely convinced that there's an efficiency case, and that the MPA is also concerned that that it could um, give that that allowing hub and spoke dispensing could sort of give rise to anti-competitive dynamics. I spoke to, when I spoke to Nick, he said that sort of being out in Cornwall, it's already um, difficult sometimes to get some of the smaller wholesalers to deliver to you. And that if there are these sort of hub and spoke groupings in, in more populated parts of the country, more central parts of the country, then the smaller um, wholesalers will have perhaps even more have more incentive to focus on them and less to, to go out to someone like Nick. Um, so lots of uh, things are going lot, to, lots of questions like that have been raised. I think a lot um, a lot is going to sort of come out in the wash over the next uh, 12 weeks. I think sometime in June that the consultation ends, but uh, it's definitely, um, I mean, obviously the, the government clearly wants this clearly wants to, to to enable this so it'll be very interesting to to see what comes out of it thanks arthur and neil what do you think independence make of this this time around yeah i mean, arthur's kind of touched on uh, the, the the concerns around uh, anti anti um, the competition issues and, the, and what struck me certainly about the npa's uh, nick k's response um, was actually getting a the, the, the sort of determination to get a view from the Competition Markets Authority uh, during the consultation process. They want a view from the CMA. And I think that's really telling. Um, I, I think that certainly, you know, in terms of questions, unanswered questions, that's a big one for me. And, and I, I, you know, I think that, that there are genuine concerns that haven't spoke uh, could certainly from I'm coming at this from an independence point of view of course you know there are concerns that uh, Hub and Spoke could weaken their buying margins and, and give the large wholesalers greater market power and that, that's a genuine concern that has to be addressed and uh, full credit to the NPA and, and uh, for, for sort of you know homing in on that um, do we have answers to that I, we don't um, you know I, 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 I've asked I mean I'm sure lots of stakeholders in the industry Hub RX and, and all kinds of different stakeholders will have a view on this and and we await uh, uh, what they have to say about this. Obviously, you know, by the time this pod comes out, they might have already had expressed a view. But, uh, you know, I, th- I think that um, I always go back to last year at the pharmacy show when Addie Williams, um, you know, expressed some really uh, interesting views and, and, and concerns about uh, Hub and Spoke and, and, and the level playing field and whether it could actually create what he described as structural vulnerabilities within the independent sector. And I think these are genuine, genuine questions that need to be answered. Um, it's really important during over the next 12, 12 weeks, uh, the duration of this consultation, that independents actually really do voice an opinion and, and, and really feed into this consultation. Because, you know, similar with the RSG thing, um, you know, independ- independents making themselves heard, this is just as important. Um, you know, the independents really do need to make themselves heard. Um, and it'll be interesting to see where this goes. But the competition thing for me is, is, is just a crucial question that has to be answered. Rob, what do you make of this um, second time round? Of course, as Arthur said, this uh, we had uh, we looked at this in twenty sixteen, didn't really get anywhere. Um, what do you think has changed this time? Uh, I don't think anything has changed, Richard. Um, I'll just say what I normally say about this particular issue is that at the moment something is not allowed to happen. Whether there's a business case, whether there's anti-competitive or competitive pressures, at the moment independent 
community pharmacists cannot benefit or disbenefit from a technology or an approach. And actually, it doesn't have to be a technology. Um, equating hub and spoke with uh, automatically with robots and automated dispensing, I think, is potentially a bit of an error. Um, so I think there's a world of a difference between preventing a segment of the market from exploring whether there's a business case or whether there's an opportunity to get together and do things slightly differently um, and actually saying we're not going to allow those conversations to happen because because it's illegal. Um, and I think first and foremost, I think people need to think through the potential of all kinds of ways in which um, even two or three people in a locality could group together and do a bit of their activities in a slightly different way by centralising in one premises over the others. Um, so, you know, I trust ultimately the flexibility and ingenuity of the sector to come up with things, not just those things that are presented by third parties externally, but things which are developed organically, internally, and which work for them. And I'd like, I hope that in, in the, you know, very healthy discussion I'm sure we're going to have over the next 12 weeks, that there are some people who are also thinking, do you know what? I can make a bit of an opportunity out of this in my town or in my um, PCN, for example. And we could think about how we structure services around a slightly different way of being able to do some aspects of the work that we currently do. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Uh, so here we are then. Here we go again, the long-awaited Hub and Spoke consultation. Um, I mean, yeah, you're all right. Lots of people have very deeply entrenched positions on this. So it's going to be interesting, isn't it, over the next 12 weeks to see if anyone's actually shifted their stance and, and, and perhaps to look at the the opportunities that, that you've outlined there, Rob, or do the fears about anti-competitiveness um, just dominate? Well, we'll see. People will have their say. Um, very important that people do have their say too. And we'll be reporting this in, in some detail, I would have thought, over the next three months or so. Um, great start. Thanks for that. Well, Rob, let's go to, to you next then. Um, who's had a good week or a bad week for you? So I'm going to turn a good week into a good fortnight, Richard. So last time uh, I spoke about the NPA um, getting people together to talk to this uh, review of primary care, the fullest stock take. And I'm returning to it this week because that review meeting, that round table, which the NPA convened, took place uh, on Monday. And it was a really good session, uh, I have to say. Um, now, I think it was a triumph, really, for the sector and its engagement with uh, with NHS England uh, and those who are running this particular review. Uh, they assembled a great cast of, uh, of community pharmacists across the sectors. So uh, other organisations were represented and took part in all of this. Um, now, I was there wearing another hat, so... Um, I can't, you know, it's not a reportable meeting in any detail. Um, so what I'm going to do in, in giving you, a, giving people a flavour of what happened is just to read a couple of bits out from the NPA's um, post-meeting statement, which um, I think captures the essence of it, really. Um, the discussions range across prevention, urgent and complex care will feed into the full stock take of how primary care, including community pharmacies, can best be supported within the emergent integrated care systems uh, to meet the health needs of people in their local areas um there's a quote in there from uh, claire fuller after whom the stock take is named she's a gp in surrey leading this whole process uh, she's also going to lead an ics in due course um and 
uh, I think this really sums the whole thing up for me. NHS England NHS Improvement Director Gina Nagib Roberts, who took part in the roundtable, said, there was real power in what people said at this event. We covered an enormous amount of ground and heard some incredible case studies which helped to lift people's eyes and show what's possible. We don't want to leave it to chance that community pharmacy is in the, is in the right conversations within ICSs. That's a really powerful, important point. I think it was three hours well spent. I think the people who attended from the stock take, but also from NHS England and from the from the NHS Confederation, I think really valued the input. I thought the pharmacists involved were um, uh, very practical, um, spoke very well, contributed a huge amount both in the meeting itself and on the on the online chat. We all know how we get things going on like that. And I think it was a really valuable exercise and again, well played to the MPA for not only recognising this is a really important um, but in doing something about it and getting people together and getting um, the uh, people running the stock take to commit the time and the space to to really sit down with uh, community pharmacy and listen uh, and question and and ask for more information at the end of it and and continue to encourage community pharmacists to take part in that. I'll leave you just with um, what I said last time, which was how how everybody else can get involved in this. Um, the MPA statement it says, says anyone with good ideas and knowledge of effective practice is invited to join the conversation at hashtag Fuller Stock Take, and that's Fuller with two L's, and uh, www.fullerstocktake, all one word, dot crowdicity.com. Crowdicity, C R O W D I C I T Y dot com. Um, recommendations from the stock take are going to go directly to NHS England Chief Executive Amanda Pritchard, who kicked the whole thing off in the first place. So a good fortnight for the MPA. Yeah, thanks, Rob. Um, this this feels um, very different to me. And, and I, the Fuller team seems very interested, really interested in, in what pharmacy has to offer. Um, and, and pharmacy, not a mere afterthought, as is sometimes the case with these consultations. So do you get the sense that, that people um, in high places are listening this time? I'd like to think it is different, Richard, but I think it also reflects how this review came about. So the NHS chief executive invites a leading primary care uh, professional operating at a local level to gather a team together. Um, and her team is from... Um, people like her and others around the system operating across England uh, to come together and to create a, an energy and to engage with as many people as possible. And I think, um, I don't think three people from the review team turn up for something like this and others from around and about who've got an interest in the outcome from NHS England on the Confed, as I said, that they turn up and spend three hours, devote three hours of this recording everything and taking everything down and asking really sensible questions if they're not interested in the outcome. So I do think this is this does feel to me to be a little bit different. Uh, we've seen these things before, paper-based exercises like call to, calls to action and so on and so forth. But I think um, the way this this was done and the the um, the energy in the in the virtual room, as it were, was was really positive. Um, the Fuller Stock Take team have also done similar roundtables, I think, with other parts of primary care. So it's not like this was a special way of capturing um, information from just pharmacy. But I think they, I do get the impression they're genuinely interested in good stuff that's happening and making that ring through 
in the output from the from the stock take itself. So it feels different to me, and I think it's great that the MPA picked up on those vibes um, and you know played into that you know really well and did it as as a sector sector leadership you know to get other other organisations didn't have to do that they got other organisations involved so everybody was there and was able to feed into this and even those who possibly didn't see the relevance of the stock take is this another review yeah we've seen all those before um were brought in and given an opportunity to to feed in and i think that's that to me is important yeah thanks rob and it is important and and just echoing what you said earlier it's really important that that pharmacists get involved in this stock take have their say and send send their evidence in and uh, to the details that that rob said and we have all the details on our websites and in our news reports of this as well so yeah make sure um you have your say um all right i'll go next and i'm gonna go for (laughs) bringing the tone down just just a little bit uh a bad week for pcn pharmacists so this was on the back of a really really interesting report I thought, from the King's Fund uh, commissioned by the DH that, well, lifted the lid, really, on, on what life is like for for these people uh, working in PCNs at the moment. Now, these people, what do I mean? Well, listeners will know that uh, as part of the, the latest GP funding deal in uh, 2019, I think, NHS England introduced the Additional Roles Reimbursement Scheme, uh, ARRS. Um, can I say ours? I think I'll just say ARRS, um, as a way of um, creating up to 26,000 new posts across five specific roles, including pharmacists, in primary care networks um, over a five-year period. And it's it's been really successful. Around 3,000 pharmacists are now working for PCNs, which, as we all know, has contributed uh, in some degree to the workforce crisis in community pharmacy at the moment. Anyway. Researchers talked to uh, some of the pharmacists in PCNs and the responses were were maybe or maybe not um, surprising. There seemed to be quite a bit of confusion about their role. They felt a sense of isolation, being underappreciated, even lonely. There were lack of training opportunities, they felt. I mean, there seemed to be a lot of frustration and also um, even conflict between GP practices and PCNs over what these pharmacists were meant to be doing, who does what for whom, etc. All in all, it, it painted a a pretty messy picture. Um, and I suppose what this says to me is this is the kind of thing that happens when a pot of money suddenly becomes available to support a, a major policy objective, which is to help solve the capacity crisis in general practice and primary care more generally, but without necessarily having a a proper or any implementation plan i mean primary care networks they're clearly going to grab this arrs funding aren't they um you know who wouldn't and work out what to do with all these new health professionals later which is fine i suppose but not ideal uh if you're one of those new health professionals or one of those new pharmacists um nick k was quoted on this second mention of a nick in the podcast this week um, he felt the NHS should consider use, uh, allowing PCNs to use this funding to commission services direct from community pharmacies. And he, he recognised the confusion that exists around these roles. Um, and, and Nick made the point that by investing in connecting existing community pharmacy resources and then innovating across that interface between community pharmacy and PCNs, then, then we could realise 
more effective patient care. I suppose the other thing that occurs to me is this ARRS funding runs until uh, 2023, 2024. And what happens after that? Well, I guess the expectation is that the PCNs uh, will have to fund these posts themselves if they think the posts are worth it. Um, will they? Well, it remains to be seen. So I think there's some um, serious thinking to be done here at PCN level. And uh, maybe maybe a lesson that the grass isn't always necessarily greener on the other side. Neil, um, let's go to you to finish then. Uh, good week or bad week? Well, it's been a good week for AAH. Um, they've partnered with the Red Cross to help get supplies of um, essential essentials, such as wound care and sanitary products to, to people caught up in that appalling war in, in the Ukraine. Um, I spoke to AAH's uh, sales and operations director, Ashley Cowan, lovely chap. Um, we spoke about all kinds of things, really, you know, supplies of medicines to, to pharmacies in, in the UK and uh, what can be done to to make that process better and, and quicker and more efficient. But of course, you know, we also spoke about what's going on in the Ukraine. And um, he told me that, uh, you know, the company have, uh, have sent some, some of its stock to Poland, where, of course, nearly two million Ukraine, Ukrainian refugees uh, have arrived Um atrocious situation and he said that AH hoped to get more supplies directly into Ukraine uh, or of course um, you know R- Russian uh, forces are attacking at will at towns and cities and, and uh, targeting civilians so it's a really appalling situation and and you know f- fantastic work from AH really um, you know we told me they want to establish a bit more detail with the Red Cross you know in, in relation to medicines and what medicines are needed and I'm sure we'll, we'll hear a bit more about that from, from them in the coming days and, and weeks um, but just, just a fantastic, uh, you know, initiative. And, and um, I think, you know, a range, uh, they're not the only ones uh, doing this, of course. They're not the only wholesaler, pharmaceutical wholesaler doing this. Um, Alliance Healthcare are, are involved and, and uh, partnering with charities and, and raising money and funds. Um, and, it, and something else that Ashley told me that, that caught, my, caught my attention was, you know, he, he has staff, Ukrainian, UK-based Ukrainian staff working for him, many of whom have got family in Ukraine. Um and some of them may well have, he didn't know the answer to this, but, he, you know, some of them may well have, uh, have sort of, you know, ideas of going over there to, to sort of fight and, and uh, uh, the urge to sort of defend their homeland. And um, and it's important at this stage, uh, he said, that to, to work with them on their individual direct needs um, to provide that support, because a lot, a lot of them are obviously very distressed and... Uh, um, and, 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 and understandably so. So, yeah, um, you know, AH, um you know, doing some great, great work uh, to, to, to help uh, with appalling situation. Um, I also spoke to Martin Saw, who's the direct, the executive director of the Healthcare Distribution Association, obviously represent, you know, pharmaceutical wholesalers. And he told me that his member companies have offered funds and, and medical products through the international, something called the International Health Partners, uh, which is a, a non-profit organization that supports people in disaster hit countries. Um, so, I think pharmaceutical wholesalers tend to get have in the past got a bit of a bad press uh, for, for a variety of reasons. Not on this occasion. I think they've, they're doing some great work. Um, and uh, my good week goes to AAH. So we have time for on any other business. Now, we were really hoping to have an RPS-free podcast this week, but no uh, developments uh, continue to happen at a pace late last night. Um, we're recording this on a Thursday, by the way, 
uh, came news of, well, I think it was an extraordinary decision, which was revealed by the immediate past president, Sandra Gidley, that uh, the society was no longer a member of FIP, um, which uh, caused quite a reaction very late last night on social media by some very prominent people. And, well, it's 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 a, another bad week for the society, I guess, if we have a good week, bad week. Um I don't know what to make of this decision, Rob. I'll ask you first. What what do you think of, of this? I think it's extraordinary. Extraordinary. That's that's quite a mild word, Richard. Um, so so far on the internet, we've had ridiculous. Says Mike Holden. Bizarre. Jonathan Underhill. A stupid idea. That's short and simple. Mutaidul Islam. Astonishing. This must be an error. Mohammed Hussain. Um, yeah, it came out late last night. Uh, and as you say, the re- response to it was almost immediate. Um, subsequent to that, now, the F- FIP was created in 1912. The RPS, uh, I guess it would have been the pharmaceutical society of Great Britain at the time, was a founder member. And it's, to my knowledge, as, uh, as I understand, it's been a member ever since uh, 1912 uh, until um, until January. Um and so, uh, yeah, this has all came out. Now we've had a, we've had a couple of statements since. One from FIP confirming the RPS has left. A statement issued this morning. It's regretful the RPS has decided not to be a member of FIP in 2022, especially at a time when global solidarity on issues that affect us all, such as workforce capacity, antimicrobial resistance, access to medicines and pharmaceutical care, sustainability is so important. Um, so the RPS has left an organisation with 140 mem- pharmacy member organisations around the world, but there is an olive branch in there. It suggests the RPS can return at any time. And um, the RPS, as subsequent to that, have themselves issued a statement which says confirms they decided not to renew organisational membership in 2022. Um, and then it's got a rather interesting second paragraph. We remain an outwardly focused and internationally aware organisation. Uh, the internet's going to be humming then. Uh, we will continue to be an active participant in global pharmacy policy. Uh, we'll be we'll be at the forefront of worldwide efforts to reduce antimicrobial resistance, end environmental harm, and promote inclusiveness and diversity across the profession. So, as well as global Britain, we've got global pharmacy, um, all from these islands. That's great. Um, so, yeah, as you say, I, I think we're going to continue to follow the the sort of fallout from this interesting uh, decision that's been made at some point looks like it was probably formally made last November um, and the really odd one for me the oddest thing of all on the on the um, on social media last night was was the former president who as you say Richard let this one slip uh, about nine o'clock last night um, then saying that um, she's surprised there wasn't a formal announcement about this when the decision was originally made and I think that has been also been questioned by a number of uh, senior people within the the profession today as to why this is coming as such news to everybody and questioning the, the decision-making process yet again. I think I'll stop there and leave others to add their poor pennyworth. Yeah, thank you, Rob. Um, RPS, a founding member of, of FOP. Yeah, of course. Um, that. Thank you for reminding us of that. This is, this is was significant news. And yeah, like you... Like you say, Robert, this would appear then to have been in discussions for a long term and and the Assembly, I suppose, making its mind up to leave last year then, we think, um, but not told anyone, as per usual, um, no communication with with the members. Um, 
Arthur, what what was your take on on this? Yeah, well, my point just relates to what you guys were just saying about about transparency. I don't think you have to be a particularly staunch critic of the society to observe that it has a bit of a a, a problem with transparency and 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 can be very secret. Obviously, you don't you don't make all your decisions in public, which is 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 I presume what what their defense would be. But I mean, when you're when you have as much of a problem with transparency as 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 I would say they do, you can end up looking quite silly. So thereafter, this morning, putting out a statement on the fly, announcing a decision that was made months ago, and they're announcing it this morning because it was revealed on Twitter last night, and it was revealed on Twitter last night because no one wanted to reveal it at the time, as as, as Rob has just recounted. I'm just repeating, I guess. But um, I mean, they have they've got a big problem, and it, I mean, it came up with the. Um, uh, redundancy story that that we broke uh, a couple of weeks ago and, and has been discussed um on the on on, on the pod extensively you know and the kind of you know the, the taking uh, big decisions like that that are going to have potentially have a huge impact on on members um you know in this case with the the fip the fip decision might not have a massive impact on members that that would be immediately noticeable but definitely to to make the the education director post redundant um there's big questions there and no one uh, a lot of people who would like to have been involved in those discussions don't seem to have been judging by how many people have been um shocked and surprised by recent announcements from the royal pharmaceutical society yes arthur um i mean this decision i think incredibly damaging to the society's national and and global reputation um Neil, then coming to you, what what was your take on this as well? Well, for me, the the, the word uh, is transparency, isn't it? I mean, you know, why did we have to hear about this on Twitter and from FIP? And we get a statement this morning, Thursday morning, from the RPS, who seem to be reacting to this news emerging from other sources. Um, you now, if, if as Rob says, uh, this decision was made last November. You know, why did they sit on this? Why didn't they inform their members? It's absolutely appalling. It's treating the membership with utter disdain. Um, they owe it to them and they wonder why their membership is numbers are falling. Um, it's appalling. There's no openness. Um, and just I'm just going to a little bit of a tangent here. You know, when they say things like, you know, we're going to go greener, we're going to end our interest in fossil fuels, we're going to end our interests in all Russia related, you know, whatever matters that they're connected. You know, why should we believe them? Do you believe them? I don't believe them, personally. There's just no transparency in the organisation at all. On this issue, uh, there are questions still unanswered. You know, were the three boards consulted about this decision to leave FIP? Um, Was was the decision driven by Paul Bennett, the chief executive, or was it the assembly? Who drove the decision? Um, It's interesting to see a comment from uh, from Thorin Govind, who's the English Pharmacy Board chair. Uh, She's usually very vocal on Twitter. Um, And she appeared to jump to the defence of Claire Anderson, the president, um, and of course, English Pharmacy Board, um, you know, by saying that the you know, the decision to end FIP membership was was set in process before this presidency, and it's an assembly matter, not an English pharmacy English pharmacy board decision. Now that that may be a lot of truth in that, but it's just interesting to note for me that Thorin and Claire Anderson sit on the assembly. So did they play a part in this decision? And if they did, what's the rationale? It's, it, it, it's just unanswered questions that need to be on, on uh, that need to be answered. So. Appalling, absolutely appalling. The way they've handled it. Not, not. I'm not even talking about just leaving FIP, which is bad enough. How they've handled the whole thing again has been absolutely appalling. 
So, Neil, when you stop sitting on the fence, why don't you tell us what you really think, eh? Um, before we finish this segment then, Rob, what do you think might happen now? Hi, yeah, it's a good, it's a good question, Richard. Um, we've got two former presidents who've gone public with their concerns about one or other of the decisions that have been made recently, or indeed both. Um, other senior figures have weighed in. Um, there, to our understanding, I think at least two other presidents who have got concerns along similar lines. So what happens when an organisation like the RPS faces, as what is as you suggested, in, a sli- in another form of words, an existential crisis? Well, I suppose you'd look to senior senior members, senior figures within the profession to to act as a sounding board, I guess, to, to provide a few thoughts on uh, the direction of travel, the decisions that are being taken. Now, the RPS has its fellows. It doesn't really use them as that. Um, and ordinary members have... It seems to me few ways in other than by the AGM um, to express views on strategic direction of travel. Um, the AGM, of course, is coming up in May. Of course, you and I, Richard, have been around long enough. We've attended the odd special general meeting or, or other on significant issues that have cropped up over the years. Um, but apart from that, I think senior figures probably have to find some way to get involved other than just on social media in in supporting the RPS to to make to make its decisions and to get some of these things right um bit like the way that they senior figures within the profession got together in 1841 and created the thing in the first place I suppose let we need to wrap up here but just to 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 kind of close and yeah I agree with 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 everything you've said there. And yeah, we don't know the rationale yet, actually, do we? Because the society hasn't hasn't said or hasn't shared shared with us anyway. Um you know, I can't believe this is a strategic decision either, because it's it's just way too insular. So this seems to be about about cost savings, but it's a very funny area to make cost savings at the expense of your your reputation, isn't it? Um I guess this is another destabilizing factor, to use the words of the of, of the chief executive. Um, but you know who's destabilizing who here? Um, and look at the look at the look at this decision in the context of the last couple of weeks. We've had the um, the post making the post of education director redundant. We've had the, the society quietly dropping its ambition to be a royal college without tell any, telling anyone, and now this. Um, I think the society is in very treacherous waters now. This this feels like the last days of Rome to me. Um, might be overstating the case, but it, it feels like the society is self-destructing almost in real time before us. When you've got a situation where ex-presidents are lining up uh, to condemn some of the decisions that have been made when you've got former chief pharmacists, other really prominent members of the profession too, very vocal in their criticism. Um, well, that says it all, really. Uh, these are very, very challenging times for the society. And I think the members are demanding answers 